Welcome to Younger Older from the leadership team of Relate365.com here on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute at Silver Birch Ranch. This is Dave Wager. I'm the older guy, and I'm with you with Nate Brash, one of the younger guys, 36 years old, and I'm in my 60s. And we get together with this program, Younger Older, and we try and have a discussion across the table, a discussion that should be being had in homes and uh, around the country, just with older people and younger people talking about life, trying to come up with an understanding of what life is about, what death is about, to live with the important things in focus. And uh, we do that here on a program we call Younger and Older. So we invite you to listen to us on a regular basis here on uh, various radio stations, but you can always go to Relate365.com and get information there and listen to the programs that you have backlogged and have not heard. Um, I, I was reading a book last time uh, we were talking, Nate, about, uh, it's entitled, For Thou Art With Me, Biblical Help for the Terminally Ill and Those Who Love Them by Bruce Baker, uh, a pastor who basically has uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and is not despairing over it all. And we were talking about what he is saying and his perspective, just as we do with you on, on this program. We're trying to get your perspective as you are in a terminal situation and we realized as we've been talking that everybody's terminal. Mm -hmm. So really, those who ignore the idea that they might not be here tomorrow are foolish. Yep. Interesting. You can get away with saying that easier than I can, <laughs> by the way. Because people look at me and call me arrogant. But since you have a terminal disease, <laughs> I think they're going to give you grace. Uh, did you ever hear about the, the ocean liner, the RMS Lusitania, if I got that right? Uh, vaguely, I think the last time I heard that was probably in high school during a history class. Yeah, and, and probably memorized <laughs> something about it for some test and forgot it all yep. since then, yeah. Here's what's interesting about that. This, this ship, ship got hit by a torpedo, but the captain was lying to the passengers about what was happening. So let me read, let me read a dialogue that was put in this book by Bruce Baker, um, for thou art with me, about what happened on the ship. Uh, he said, um, let me just read to you. The British ocean liner RMS Lusitania was struck by a torpedo from a German submarine May 7, 1915. It appears that in an effort to minimize panic, the captain, William Thomas Turner, decided to shade the truth. Shade the truth now. Now, not tell anybody what's really going on. <laughs> to minimize panic. Do you ever think about how silly that is to make somebody feel good right now because 10 minutes from now they're going to die? Yep. Here, have a lollipop. You know what I mean? Uh, it makes it all better. Yeah, I don't At know. least for my kids, a lollipop makes everything yeah, better. Yeah, you know, whatever. And, and so shortly a torpedo struck the liner. One of the passengers, Charles Lariat, returned to the deck. Eric Larson tells what happened next. So here's, here's what happened according to this account. Lariat was standing within earshot of the bridge when he heard a woman call out to Captain Turner. Her voice steady and calm. Captain, what do you wish us to do? Stay right where you are, madam. She's all right. Where do you get your information from, she asked. From the engine room, madam, he said. But the engine room clearly had told him no such thing. Apparently, he was seeking to calm the crowd below to avoid setting off a panicked race for the boats. A panicked race for the boats, which might have saved a few lives, by the mm -hmm. way. Laureate and the woman now headed back toward the stern, and as they walked, they told other passengers what the captain had said. Second-class passenger Henry Needham 
may have encountered the pair, for he recalled the passenger approaching from the direction of the bridge and shouted, the captain says the boat will not sink. Now, it really, this is expanding what the captain actually said at this point. Mm-hmm. The remark, Needham wrote, was greeted with cheers, and I noticed many people have been endeavoring to get a place in boats turned away in apparent contentment. Turner's words merely confirmed what the passenger and crew already believed, or wanted to believe, that no torpedo would cause the ship mortal damage. The ship's purser and surgeon spent moments after the two explosions, calmly strolling along the boat deck, smoking cigarettes, assuring passengers that the ship was not in any danger. The captain told them what they wanted to hear. He didn't want anyone to be upset. Thus, no one headed for the lifeboats as a result of the 1,959 passengers aboard the Lusitania, 1,198 perished. I think we can all agree that trying to make people feel better by not telling them the truth was a disastrous strategy. Oh, yeah. So when I read that, what, yeah. what, were, what were you thinking? I mean, what, what was going through your mind? It's kind of like what Satan does with us with Scripture. It's laid out very clear how we should respond to God. Yeah. and captain basically fed a lie knew the boat was going to go down and why do people uh, lie like that i think it makes themselves feel good in a way it's a it is a captain who wants to control that chaos of trying to coordinate getting the boats out in the water and yeah it's uh how does sir how does serving people a lie like that knowing that they're going to die how does that i mean that that has to be satanic. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, did anybody notice the boat going down? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I did some yeah, out of a thousand people, nobody realized that this boat was slightly taking on water maybe? Yeah. You know what's interesting it, to me is we, we put an awful lot of uh, hope in our own belief system and yeah. our own faith system. Even though our belief system and our faith system is something that doesn't make anything true or false. Mm-hmm. When you look at something, you can believe whatever you want. You can believe that the moon's made out of cheese. You can, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But the truth is, the moon's made out of rock. Mm-hmm. And we know that. We have samples of it in some, some museum somewhere. And the bottom line is, regardless of how sincere you are, I, how many people do you think to keep the momentary peace will lie to others about what's really going on? That happens quite often. And, and if it happens on the spiritual mm-hmm. realm, you know, if you're going to know God, let me give you a suggestion. As an old guy, if you're listening to me somewhere, you know, wherever you are, I do love God. I spend time with him every day. And what you need to do is pick up the Bible and read it and see what God has to say. And what we've been talking about in the younger, older, when Nate and I get together, is the very fact that Life as we live it, as we know it now, will not always be the way it is now. Mm-hmm. That there will be things that happen in life that are we consider good, bad, or ugly. And we are all people who are separated from God because of our sin. This sin has a price. We're separated from God. You don't need to say separated from God. There's a lifeboat, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. There's a way to be rescued from the meaninglessness of life. And that's through Jesus Christ. God said that while we were still sinful, while we were still in our sinful condition, God sent Jesus to die for us. 
I find that interesting. When you're um, not feeling well, Nate, uh, where does your wife take you? Let's say you're in a really bad moment. Uh, the last time I was in a really bad, it called the ambulance because car ride was just not going to work. So why did you call an ambulance? What 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 was the purpose of that rather than just having you walk to town? That would have been a really long walk, and you wouldn't have made it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have made it. When you were at when you're at your worst, you need help around yeah. you because you cannot take care of yourself. That's the way life is. Mm-hmm. Now, some people avoid that at all costs because of their pride. Oh yeah, well, is it stuff that I've been learning through all this is accepting help and really getting a good grasp on. I can't do anything on my own. Okay. And, you know, when my back was in really rough shape you know, for many, many weeks, I could hardly do anything. And it was very humbling. Yeah. But God used that to teach me to rely on other people and to really cherish that. You know, it strengthens relationships. And, you know, it, it was very humbling for me because I'm not one that likes to receive help. I'll help people out all the time. I love doing that. Yeah. Now, when you've and, helped people out— you- there's something inside of you that could, becomes very satisfied, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So you wouldn't want to deny me or anybody else that satisfaction of helping you out, would you? Oh, I would love to deny people that because yeah, it means I have issue. to be humble. Yeah, yeah that's the <laughs> issue I, just, I was yep. making. It's like, you know what? When you help somebody, and I've seen you help people, and when you do, when you leave, there's a, there's a certain fulfillment there mm-hmm. because God made us to love one another, and there's something about helping people and even in your illness now, you're, you know, you're helping people by coming and doing this radio broadcast in other ways. I saw you yesterday. There was a need for an ambulance, and you were there, and you were there trying to help people. And I think you do that uh, because you are wired to give and to love. Mm-hmm. And really, sometimes we have to allow other people to love us. Yeah. Or we take away that wonderful privilege that God alone gives them to go and help somebody. Our pride loves to get in the way all oh, the time. And, and pride, of course, <laughs> is of Satan, isn't it? Yep. So it's one of those things that you look at and you think, okay, you know, there are so many things in life. I, I can relate to that. I This is my 52nd summer here at Silver Birch Ranch. And you know better than most that here at camp, we have a lot of different things we do. Mm-hmm. We, are, uh, we offer the kids water skiing. We offer them uh, river trips, you know, whether it be rafting or or tubing down the river, whatever we're doing there. We offer them going up to a climbing wall into a zip line. And most back riding, you name it. Oh, yeah. you name it. Most of the stuff that I just mentioned requires vehicles to move them from one place to another in order to get things done. And you are actually taking care of all those vehicles. But I remember uh, years ago when I got diagnosed with uh, my narcolepsy, I remember sitting in my office and having a huge dilemma in my hands. I actually loved the idea of driving the ski boat and driving the bus because it got me with the kids and I was just out with them and just enjoying them. And my job has so many other issues to it that are not people oriented Mm -hmm. that I enjoy just being with the campers and being with eight year olds or Uh, high school kids. It's awesome seeing their smiles on something that they've never experienced. It was very fulfilling. But I was sitting in my office. I remember sitting there and saying, you know, God, I know what I need to do, but I don't want to do it. I I need to not drive the bus anymore because if there were an accident, if somehow my narcolepsy would be tied to an accident, that would be negligence at best. Mm-hmm. And really, there is no evidence if you're on 
your medication. In fact, they don't take a license away from a narcoleptic. If you're on your medicine, there's no more accidents that they have than anybody else. So that wouldn't be it. But I was more concerned with how a lawyer might twist it or do something. And likewise, driving a ski boat or anything where I had to really take camp passengers. And I remember sitting there thinking, I, I actually said this to God, I said, you know, God, I'm worthless now. I'm worthless. I can't do what, I can't help anymore. And I just think God probably grinned a little. It's like, okay, fine. You're not measured by being able to drive a bus. You're not measured by these things. You've done it for 40 years and probably shouldn't have, you know. You're just coming to the logical sense that you can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, you've gone through that process for other things. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been, uh, has it been, am I exaggerating? Is that a hard process or an easy process for you? Well, it's a hard process. It's, uh, you know, for me, I, you know, when I was diagnosed, uh, I was put on, you know, some pretty heavy pain meds. And, you know, one of the first things that, you know, kind of decided to do is, you know, not driving campers around. Right. And yeah, fortunately it wasn't in the summer when it happened because I, I enjoy driving right. a ski boat and all that stuff. It's a, there's no bigger joy than seeing a, you know, an ear to ear smile from a kid who's yep. never gone tubing. Yep. And it's, you know, it's hard to give that stuff up, but again, it puts you in a humble spot. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else is going to do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's the human side of us. We don't want to give up that part. Yeah. But, and your value isn't measured by that. No. Our value is measured by our relational side, not not by what we can do for other people even. You still do things for other people. I mean, you're mm -hmm. doing right now within the, the capacity that you're able to, you're helping other people. You're doing mm -hmm. this younger, older broadcast. Like I said, I saw you in action um, as an EMT. You're, you're still working at the things you can work at, mm -hmm. but there are some things you can't do. Yeah. It's a... As you know, it's a, you understand your limitations a whole lot more being in the position that we're in. Yeah. And in some ways, it kind of strengthens it because it gives you something to push more. The The call that I went on yesterday was the first uh, ambulance call I went on in many, many, many months. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I want to do more of that. Yep. Just because it, it keeps me active and it pushes me. It's, and it and it's you, not easy because yeah. it's, a, you know, sitting on the floor, you know, just the, uh, my physical ailments. It's painful, but I go past that. Right. And you work through it. Absolutely. I think, I think when you start looking at life, you begin to appreciate what you have been able to do. Yeah. And normally you can't do that till it's taken away from you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, my father-in-law, who now has uh, Parkinson's and he's in a... Uh, nursing uh, assisted living kind of situation. He had a cottage up here for, I'm guessing, I can't remember exactly, maybe 20 years or so. And he would come up every summer. He is retired and he would come up and he would drive a ski boat. He would help prepare Wrangler's breakfast for people, like cook eggs and all that kind of stuff, everything a good doctor should be doing. <laughs> Heart and disease. Just loved it. <laughs> and I remember, you know, the life is seasonal and there came a time where he came and said, I think I need to sell the cottage and I don't think I'm able to do this anymore. And I thought, yeah, there was so much good that came out of it, so much good for him and for the people around him. But life is seasonal. Mm -hmm. You need to enjoy the work, not just to play. Mm -hmm. You need to enjoy the work that you do. Now, you are right now on disability, correct? Yes. Do you miss working? Oh yeah, drives me nuts. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, you know, I, you know, I hope to be able to come back in a few months yeah. and it's, uh, yeah, after you go through a couple more treatments, you go through the reevaluation process to uh-huh. see where everything is. That's where, you know, doctor and myself will make a determination if you know, I'm going to come back. Right. Because yeah, there's just a lot of unknowns, but you know, the way I'm wired is uh, I want to work. Right. And that's the way that most men are typically wired. And, and I think all people are. I mean, we're told you don't work, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. But I, I bet you people are listening and they're thinking, man, disability, you don't have to... Now, you know what you you realize what you lose when you lose it. I oh, mean, yeah. you realize what you have after you lose it. And really, working is a gift from God. And if you're listening today and you're working, be thankful today. Oh yeah. Be thankful that you have the health to do it. Be thankful that you have the job. Be thankful that you have a boss. Be thankful that you have the skill. Be thankful. I I would, you know, as an older guy, I'm encouraging you. The job that you have, make it a. a Thanksgiving when you go there mm-hmm. and do your job to the best of your ability. There's no guarantee that you're going to be there tomorrow. Exactly. You don't know what God has planned for you. So I think it's one of those things, again, when you get a terminal disease, you begin to think about because of the fact that something was taken away from you mm-hmm. and it becomes more precious. And the thought, I think your family becomes more precious because you're thinking of, okay, they're going to be gone from me for a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever think about uh, what heaven will be like and how much God will let you in on what's going on down here? Kind of. Yeah, I just wonder. I don't it's have an a, answer for that, yeah. by the way. I, Neither do I. Um, <laughs> I haven't I'm, been there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of wonder if he'll let us you know, look through the window and see what's going on. And Well, there's, there's indication that there's some knowledge of what goes on yeah. down here. And I'm not sure how that all works. <laughs> when uh, Saul... I mean, eventually Samuel answered him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Samuel had to know what was going on. You know, I mean, uh, it's just kind of interesting. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the cloud of witnesses. Well, witnesses are witnessing something. Yeah. So I'm just wondering how much of what goes on on this earth is actually captured in this celestial body mm-hmm. and how much is guarded um, I don't think, I think people who might pray to relatives, that's goofy. You don't pray to anybody but God. Yeah. Very clear in the Bible yeah. about that too. You know, though, I have told, I have, when I prayed, I've asked God to tell my dad something, which is interesting because I think, you know, God, this is up to you. Mm-hmm. But if somehow you could communicate to my dad or my mom, I would love for them to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's a, a lady, a good friend of mine, who was a missionary in uh, South America, and she died of malaria. And she was young, um, left three boys and her husband, and uh, grew up with her in high school club. She was part of our church. And, and her sister has lived, and her sister has struggled uh, tremendously in life. She's terminal, too. She had to have a lung transplant. And, but for some reason, everything works on her, and she's still alive, and she's a little older than I am. So, you know, you never... You never, you never know. The one sister was healthy, died of malaria. <laughs> the other one has no lungs, and she's lived till my age. Well, she has lungs now. They were transplanted. But as you look at it, I, there's been times where the um, older sister who's still alive, if she knows somebody's dying, she'll go talk to them and say, could you please tell my sister something? And I find that fascinating, that not only is she afraid, not afraid of death, and she's not. She's not afraid to talk about death with people who are dying because it's going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. 
But even to speculate and say, look, would you look my sister up? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fascinating. Now, I've never really, theologically, I have no idea. I have no idea. Again, uh, if, you know, you can go back and uh, look in the Bible, as we talked about. You can go back and um, take a look in Luke chapter 16, and you can see Jesus talking about what eternity might look like. Mm-hmm. But, but I wonder, um, and I would encourage you, before we even do this program again, because we'll keep doing these as God allows us to, think about the idea of, uh, and maybe look in the scriptures, what is it for somebody when they leave this earth, how much will God allow them to see? How much mm-hmm. communication can you have with people down here? Does God even want that? I, I don't know the answers to that. And yeah. I, honestly, I haven't studied it. I just it's an wonder. interesting question. Yeah, yeah. I'll throw another yeah. one at you just for the fun of it, uh, because I've watched my dad die, watched my mom die. Now my mother-in-law died uh, just about in our presence. Um, I've had friends, obviously, that have have died. Everyone in this world does because everyone's going to die. But I, I wonder if, when people die, if they don't travel at the speed of light and there's no time that passes between the time that I would die and my dad mm-hmm. died because if you travel at the speed of light there's no time that passes mm-hmm. I've kind of wondered that too when he died is do you just speed up to the end and, yeah, yeah. I, well Einstein many years ago Einstein um, had a theory that if you travel at the speed of light there's no time that passes and they had trouble proving that because uh, what can you send that's alive at the speed of light? <laughs> um, but they did put a, now, I may have some of my facts wrong because I'm not a scientist, but in Illinois, there's a, a Fermi lab that they have that they do a bunch of scientific experiments at. And I think there's a tunnel under the, that they built this, this like circular racetrack tunnel so they could beam some things at the speed of light. And they found something that was alive that has a very particular half-life which again, I don't know why they call it a whole life. I, I'm not, I mean, this is how bad things can get when you're looking at science. Like, I have no idea why we call something a half-life when, don't they mean the whole thing? So, I, anyway, these had a very particular half-life and they sent them at the speed of light and they found that they did not age. Hmm. And I thought, whoa, Einstein was right. Well, think about that, eternity. The day you close your eyes here, to us, we say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. But what if, what if you're traveling at the speed of light and no time passes? And one day you look over and your children are traveling with you. Mm-hmm. And no time passed for you. That'd be very interesting, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's it. It's one of the things that I've thought about is it's the unknown of dying, what actually happens. Yeah. And now, that, that, is that scary to you? Hmm. No, it's, it's more inquisitive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I get from you. It's more like... Yeah, because it's uh, all for both you and I and anybody else who's a believer. It's uh, We already know what's going to happen. We're going to be present with God. Yeah. So it's the yeah. kind of the speculation of, okay, how's this actually going to work? How's this look on paper? Yeah, some really uh, have said something like this. I, I, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of the process of dying. And I thought, well, you know, I might have said that at one point, but honestly, the process of dying is something that can actually have great meaning in life. 
when you are dying, somebody's watching. Mm -hmm. And our job in this life is to show people who God is. What a better time to do it than when you're dying. When you're in that state, you're in your most vulnerable state. Yeah, nobody can argue with you about mm -hmm. things. Uh, I've said it to you. I've said it to other people. I, I would rather go to a funeral than a wedding. And the reason I would rather go to a funeral is not because I'm Swedish and I don't like parties, but <laughs> it's because at a funeral you have some minutes to say things to people and they have to respect it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's kind of an unwritten rule at a funeral. So let's say that um, somebody you love died, whoever it might be. And I just had that happen, and I'm going to a funeral. So I, I will be in a position where I am family to somebody who has gone to be with the Lord. And I can say anything I want to people at that funeral. And they will listen. They will listen and allow me to do it. And that, to me, is such a golden opportunity in life that I've often thought, please, I'd rather go to a funeral. Not because I want people to die. I just know people are going to. So that neither here nor there. And weddings, I have yet to get anyone to listen to me anyway. You know, I um, mean, they're all in a party mood, so. It's kind of interesting, the, the amount of prep and planning that goes into a wedding versus a funeral. You know, a wedding you prepare for for months and months and months and months and months. Yep. When somebody dies, you know, in some circumstances, it's out of the blue. Yep. And that may play into some of it. Yeah, my dad died on the Monday before Thanksgiving. Funeral was on Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday, actually, the, there was a viewing Friday, and Saturday was a funeral. Mm -hmm. That was a couple days. Yeah. And mm -hmm. totally unexpected death. He had a heart attack. So it wasn't like anybody had a bunch of plans written out. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting. My dad, it was interesting for me. He was a pastor all of his life, and he had told me that um, when he died, don't let those guys at the funeral home take you for a, an expensive casket. And he was serious about it. He said, I want, you know, he, he went there as a pastor all the time and tried to remind the people that the person isn't in that body. Mm -hmm. Person's not in that body. Don't fall for the, they need the $4 million <laughs> casket, you know. Cup pile carpeting. Oh, yeah. Well, when we went, we, my brother and I knew my dad had said that to us, and we basically went insane, cheapest casket you got. And the funeral director is just really appalled with us because my dad would use this funeral home as a pastor. This is the one he always would use because it was close to the church. Mm -hmm. And so the funeral director finally said, I'm just giving, I'm charging you for that, but I'm giving you a nice one. You know what I mean? It was like he, he really wanted my dad to have a nice casket. And I'm thinking, you're breaking the rules here. My dad said, no, <laughs> look, he's not there. This is a body that's going to have other animals eat it soon. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that you live for, and he doesn't need a, a you know a million dollar casket. Well, whatever he gave him, whatever one he gave him, and upgraded it for us. But the, the bottom line really was, I understood what my dad said, and it always stuck with me about this life when it's over. That body is going to rot. Mm -hmm. You don't live for the rotting stuff. You live for eternity, and you and I have the opportunity to do that, and those listening can do that, unless they're not part of God's family, in which case I invite them to contact us at Relate365.com. And if you want to get in contact with Nate directly and talk to him, I will make sure you get in contact with him. We won't give his 
personal information over the podcast here, but I will get you in information, uh, your information to him if you want to talk to him. I would love to talk to anybody. Yep. This is Dave Wager with Nate Brash, and you've been listening to Younger Older, a part of the Relate365.com ministry.